Good morning, everyone. Tuesday, March 7th, the Mary Griffith Show is underway. Brought to you by Refreshment Services Pepsi and Harvest Ridge Coffee. Kent Embry is here from the Community Foundation. We don't get a chance to talk to Kent very much. Catherine is also here. Catherine Baki Mekas is also here. We do get a chance to talk to her. So, could, hello, Catherine. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> and Kent, we're so glad to have you here. Yeah, glad to be here. I haven't seen you for a while, Mary. I know, and, and you need to be, come by more often. Well, this is an exciting season for the Community Foundation. Uh, your 2023 community grant programs mm-hmm. are about to be given out, but first people have to apply. You That's don't just right. willy-nilly stand on the corner and throw money in the air. Exactly. There is an application process, and I think we need to talk about that, and so... I'm sure that's why you're here today. There are some special things that people can do. There's some Zoom meetings and some tutorials. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think a lot of people think, what could my little not-for-profit do with $7,500? Now, if you're a big, giant not-for-profit, that's a drop in the bucket. That's true. But if you're a really small, very small not-for-profit that doesn't really have a paid staff, does everything it can on a shoestring budget, $7,500 is a lot of money. Oh, yeah, and it uh, really can go to support individual projects. I mean, that's that's the idea behind our $7,500 level, actually, is to encourage nonprofits to work on these projects that they need to create more impact within what their mission is for our community. So let's talk about what you mean by impacting with a mission. Uh, sometimes I've sat on committees, not lately, but I need the money for a really good cause. We do great work. It just, yeah, we need a specific? little bit more yeah. than that. You're right, you're right. And I mean, you're t- the problem is you're not a professional grant writer, so you're just trying to tell people the story of your of your agency. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to use flowery words. You don't even have to use correct grammar. Get the, the heart of it out there. But be specific. I want to serve 14 families that need cat food. I want to serve... You know, these number of people who need to have a first aid emergency kit, we're going to put them all together at this place, Mm -hmm. and this is what we need for supplies. Get specific. Don't just say, we want to do good for our community, because everybody wants to do good for the community. Exactly. And, you know, this you've noticed that we may have changed the uh, name of our program this year. In past years, it's been called the Competitive Grant Program. We don't feel that's the particularly the friendliest uh, moniker for the program, and we we want to we want to encourage people to to understand that this is a this is a support for nonprofits within our 12 county area that we serve. So we are rebranding this program as the Community Grant Program. Um, a lot of similarities between the previous program and this program. It's, it's pretty much the same, but there are some, some key baby step differences that we're making this year uh, to make the, the application process a little bit friendlier. And so one of those is that we are not um, doing automatic disqualifications this year over missing financial reports and materials through our online application process. So uh, what we're doing is we're building in a new calendar schedule um, that may seem a little bit more difficult because the deadline is now May 1st instead of June 1st. 
But what it does is it builds a little bit more time in it for us as staff to reach back out and uh, let, let our applicants know if they're missing a key piece of information on the application. Because as you said, our committee that reviews these and evaluates these grants needs to have some idea of what the specific project is. They need to, need to also have a good idea of the financial position that the uh, organization is in. And that doesn't mean that, that an organization, a nonprofit, or a unit of government who's applying doesn't mean that they have to have all of the, um, they don't have to have deep pockets. In fact, we encourage encourage a lot of smaller nonprofits. This is a smaller thing. I yeah, mean, $7,500 is a lot to a small agency. Exactly. And you mentioned, I kind of think of it as the dog ate my homework. You know, here's three pages of my essay, but the fourth page is missing because I dropped it in the puddle on the way to school. Go back, get it. Mm -hmm. So instead of automatically disqualifying, you put them in a packet of Needs to call parents. Child yeah, did not. Exactly. Child did not handle <laughs> work accurately. But you give them a second chance because mm -hmm. you call specifically and say you had A, B, and C. Great, but we need D, and here's your chance to give us D within another deadline time frame. Exactly. So, so we still have a little bit of time before we submit or allow our allow our uh, committee to evaluate the applications um, for us to just reach out and make that point of contact with the, with the applicant. But we have a lot of other ways that um, nonprofits can reach out to us beforehand, before they ever click that submit button on the online application. We have workshops coming up this week that there's, they're all on Zoom, so there's plenty of space. Um, but we have one each day, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, each at a different time of the day this week. And uh, people can register just by going on our website and going to our nonprofits tab, and they'll see uh, the community grants um, section page. And there's all the information that they need right there on, on our website, and they can register for those workshops this week. So the workshop is a little over an hour long, and it gives uh, a good you know, background behind our organization, what we do, where the funds come from, that support this this grant program, um, and then kind of gives them the leg up on on how to fill out the application as you're well. You're going to go through the application, I'm sure, page by page, saying this is what's on page one or page how many yeah, pages it is. And I know you tried to simplify it, and I think that is the number one. You know, it's really interesting because my brother in he's had many careers in his life, but one of the things that he does and does well is not doing it right now, but he writes grant applications. Hmm. And, you know, he'll get like a $5 million grant. Well, he is being paid as a staff person of a giant organization to bring in that kind of money. Well, that yippee-yay-yay. But if you don't have someone like my brother mm -hmm. and you got to figure it out on your own, like say I had to do it mm -hmm. and I'm only going to get $7,500, that money is still as critical to me. So just, t you know, teach me the basics. Help me along. Coddle me through this. Yeah, because definitely. a lot of these agencies and uh, smaller ones that, you know, have a very loosely held, they don't even really have a paid executive director or any kind of paid mm -hmm. staff. That's true. They're just a group of volunteers who banded together to try to help their community with a specific cause. That's very true. There there are often um, start, I want to say startup nonprofits, you know, that have been going for a while that, that um, they use their budget 
you know, they don't even have necessarily an operating budget. They just use the money that they raise for the program that they that they are running. You know, whether you know, I just talked to somebody yesterday who's running a backpack program, you know, and we were looking at their operating budget and there's nothing there for staff, paid staff, it's all volunteer. There's nothing there for any overhead like rent or utilities or anything like that. It's money in, money out. And this organization is still a 501c3 nonprofit. They just don't have that huge budget. So, so it's whether it's one can of soup or two cans of soup goes in the backpack, yeah. depending on what kind of money they have that week. So a $7,500 grant makes a huge difference for them. That could be the bulk of their of their program funding. Yeah, and like I said, you know, my brother lives in Dallas, Texas. So, you know, I remember the reason I became aware of this when my father was ill. He worked from home a little bit at our home, not his home, our home. <laughs> and... I was just like, I didn't realize you were involved in this kind of, that kind of level of money. He goes, oh, that's not much. I go, $5 million? He goes, but compared to our whole budget, that's hardly, he goes, I have to do that like every week. You know, I'm like, oh my God. I said, I just, I, you know, it just, I, I, I couldn't put my head around it, yeah. you know, about, but you know, when you're talking about feeding all the hungry people in Dallas, Texas, yeah. you're talking about that's a lot, larger you know, organization. a lot of cans of soup. But it, it, I think that sometimes every not-for-profit has a great mission and struggles because if you've got a $5 billion budget, you still expend that all. You're not sitting there going, gee, we have so much money, we can't find a need for it. No, there's mm-hmm. always a need. But it's really harder for like backpack blessings in a backpack or any group like that that's trying mm-hmm. to do something uh, especially in a smaller, more rural community mm-hmm. where fundraising is not quite as readily available and, and other stuff. So this is mm-hmm. perfect. So the Zoom meeting is March 8th, Wednesday, tomorrow mm-hmm. from 10 to 1130, mm-hmm. Thursday, March 9th from 3 to 430, and Friday, March 10th from noon to 130. So mm-hmm. lots of different times. Mm-hmm. You can even, I guess, watch it twice if you are not a good listener, I guess. I guess, I guess so. I don't think I, people I think, will need to. No, but yeah. I think yeah. it's good enough. It's easy enough. Now, the applications are open, and they close May 1st. May 1st, yes. And there again, you know, you want to make sure your application's correct the first time, but you mm-hmm. are going to get a, a little second chance. So mm-hmm. how much money do you have to give out, and what kind of, Catherine, mm-hmm. <laughs> Very little and very much. How much do you have to get out? How much do you expect to request? So talk a little bit about what's been like in the past, Catherine. Sure. So, you know, it's the age-old dilemma in that we always get more requests than we have funding for. But this year we'll be um, giving out around $177,000. And that number might increase depending on if we have some of our donor-advised funds to want to chip into our program once they see the applications. And I think that's one of the, the great things about this program. Besides the fact that you can apply for funding from our unrestricted endowments and from our field of interest endowments, um, which have maybe a specific geographic area or interest area, what we do uh, is after all the applications come in, we'll put summaries together into what we call our book of opportunities. And this is available on our website, and we also share it with all of our donor-advised fund advisors and uh, encourage them to take a you know page through just like they're shopping in the catalog and if something catches their interest we invite them to help fund it which then increases the amount of total funding we have so for example last year we started off with around i think 178,000 175,000 um that we had in total funding from our unrestricted and field of interest endowments but 
through the power of uh, collaboration and getting our donor advised funds involved, we gave out more than $200,000. Uh, so it really gets your project into the hands of a much broader audience than you might have had before. Okay, so you, you'll have about... You said 180. Is that what you said? Around there, yep. 178 thousand dollars. Okay, so you have about 180. Last year, you gave out 200 because of some Mm -hmm. people in the donor restricted saying, "Oh, I wasn't even aware that that existed. I didn't know they were doing Mm -hmm. that." That sounds like something that my falls into the line of what my uh, personal uh, endowment is for. So this is a great opportunity for people to get up to 7,500 dollars. Again, large large agencies can ask for it as well, but Mm -hmm. It's just prime and perfect for the very, very small not-for-profit that's operating on a shoestring where $7,500 is an enormous amount of money to them. Mm-hmm. And really very little effort. Watch the Zoom meeting, kind of listen, mm-hmm. maybe call and say, help, I don't understand this word or I don't understand how I should phrase this. There's be some coaching involved to help you put mm-hmm. your best foot forward because, again, they are competitive. I mean, you're not going to be able to give everybody everything they want, but some people might get maybe half of what they want, or is it all or nothing? Are you like in or out? It's definitely not all or nothing. Um, We may partially fund something based on how much uh, money is available, um, or it, you know, there's a pretty broad conversation that usually happens with our grant committees. So they get into details, and, um, you know, if they decide that this program can help, but they would prefer to see some collaboration on on a particular project. They might encourage that collaboration by by partially funding um, the the application. Yeah, there may be people trying to do something good, and they're both trying to do almost the same thing, but they don't know about each other. That's true. So you might find that and say, hey, you wanted $7,500, you wanted $7,500. You know, we're not going to be able to give you both that, but together, if you would work together, uh, you know, we might be able to give you $10,000 or something like that. Each of you would get some and uh, more than you would have gotten individually. And you also expand your volunteer base and your scope. And you may find out that there are some people out there who have very like-minded things trying to do this all by themselves. How often does that happen that you find like uh, somebody's trying to distribute widgets in one place and somebody's trying to distribute widgets in another place and suddenly you say, hey, you're both trying to distribute widgets. Why don't we put you guys together and you can figure it out? It does happen, but but um, with us serving such a broad area, um, often you know the geographic the geography of the situation will will not enable someone to collaborate with someone who's doing the exact same thing, right. or they're equally of value in the geographic area or the county that they're that they're located in. I'm excited, though, this year, because I will say that last year at the awards presentation, that's one of our favorite parts, is because we invite all of the nonprofits who are receiving funding to come up and share a little bit about what they're going to use the grants for. And you can almost, like, see people's, like, ears, you know, perk up a little bit because you'll hear, oh, my gosh, you're doing that. We're having that same issue over at our organization. And you'll see people exchanging their cards at the end mm-hmm. or being like, oh, my gosh, this this could work really well with some of the challenges that we're having. And so I'm really curious this year to see if um, we have more collaborative uh, applications come in that, you know, that, that might have sparked because of those connections that were made. We also have this always disconnect. The Northeast Missouri and West Central Illinois served by the Community Foundation. Because the headquarters are here in Quincy, some people mistakenly think, oh, you've got to 
impact Quincy. No, 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 no. Shelby County, Pike County, Pike County, mm-hmm. you know, both Pike Hancock counties. County, both Pike <laughs> counties, Twin Pike, you know. We, this is where this really is very beneficial because a lot of rural areas don't have a, you know, umbrella. And uh, there's just a group of volunteers holding up the umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so this money can be very critical in very small cities. This is something that rural areas can really excel at. That's true. And, you know, this program is also available for agencies that are outside of our service area but serve within these counties. So if they have a program but their their headquarters is in Columbia or somewhere like that or Columbia's outside of our counties, right? Yes. It is, yeah. but we do have some organizations from there that uh, that apply because they do specific programming within our 12 counties. So that's mm-hmm. that's the real crux there is that we want the dollars to be spent and used and impact um, in our 12-county service area. Okay, mm-hmm. well, we're going to run out of time. We do want to let people know that they need to go to the Community Foundation website, mycommunityfoundation.org, learn about the application, download the application, Learn about the Zoom meetings. There's one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, one on Friday. Those are free. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of get together. Uh, there's a lot of people out there listening say, hey, uh, my girls and I have been doing this. You know, my red hat ladies have been doing something like this. You have to be a 501c3. But if there's a group that you belong to that already has that umbrella of 501c3, get going and help them out. Mm-hmm. If you're the one that can say, I've got the time to fill out the application, don't worry about being not being a professional grant application person. And non-501c3s can use a fiscal sponsor who is a 501c3 as well. So it opens that up to to even smaller nonprofits. And I also want to encourage everybody before they hit that submit button to get online and schedule a a review. We'll even do a one-on-one staff review with you before you actually submit. Okay. Fantastic. Kent Embry, come back more often. Thanks so much, Mary. Catherine, always great to have you. Absolutely. we're going to step aside. Uh, We're back. Talk Radio 930 WTAD. The Mary Griffith Show rolls on. David May has joined me. We were just talking uh, with the Community Foundation about those great volunteers that do all this work out of the kindness of their heart. And David May uh, is an integral part of the Quincy Parkinson's Disease Support Group. And they're going to have their open house Saturday, March 18th from 1 to 4 at the Quincy Public Library with a great guest speaker, Dr. Austin Hake, who's a neurologist with Quincy Medical Group. He'll be speaking at 2. Parkinson's disease, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a cure for it yet. We have some treatments. But the best thing is to get support, not only for the fee- folks who've been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, but for the entire family because it affects everyone. David May, that's where you fall in. You are not, you don't have Parkinson's, but you love people with Parkinson's, so it affects your life, right? Uh, that's certainly correct. Uh, it probably, the program started eight years ago because my wife has Parkinson's, and she was diagnosed in about 2014. Um, simple things start, uh, early things like uh, her, her, her handwriting got smaller and smaller and smaller. That's a typical thing. And then people see that one arm may not move like you expect it to when you walk, simply as that. Those are some of the simple things that are physical that you see. And sometimes their voice gets softer. Uh, Just a lot of different things can be happening. It happens so gradually over time that sometimes you don't notice it until somebody hasn't seen you for a while. So, you know, you may not notice it as your wife 
slowly progresses, but maybe somebody who hasn't seen her for a year goes, oh, my goodness, you're definitely changed. That's correct. And, and I, you made the right word, words. You used the right word. You said move slowly because it is a progressive disease which uh, can plateau many times for a number of years where there's not many changes, and then things may take another step. So it depends on the person. The words are, if you've seen one person with Parkinson's, you've seen just one person because there's about 17 different symptoms associated with it. And the one that people mostly understand is the tremor. The tremor. Yes, and my father had this disease and uh, other members of my family, although it's not hereditary, some other members of my family who share no gene code with my father, actually, no share gene code with my mother, you know, but there has been, I know a few people now with Parkinson's, and so it's not, first thing is to get a diagnosis and to not be afraid of getting a diagnosis. There are just as many different kinds of symptoms there's also some different diagnoses, but although it's not curable, it is treatable. There are drug therapies available, and we're fortunate because one of the best Parkinson's clinics in the United States is right down here in St. Louis at Washington University. That is for sure. Um, WashU University Research, they're one of the tops in the U.S. There are many that are also good, and a lot of them are linked to things like Michael J. Fox and other organizations like that as well. The thing that really is important, though, is that people recognize this is not the end. This is just the beginning of something, but it's, it doesn't have to control your life. And that's what we try to put that point across in our support group. Let's talk about this support group. Uh, you've been meeting uh, the second Saturday of the month at the Quincy Public Library from 10 to noon. Uh, now you're going to have this big open house on Saturday from 1 to 4, trying to encourage more people who love someone with Parkinson's, have to care for someone with Parkinson's, uh, someone with Parkinson's who has said, oh, I'm not interested in joining some group, I'm not interested in listening, you'd be surprised uh, what strength you can get in numbers. Because the, the quality of the speakers you have, you've had eye specialists, you've had dentists, bone density analysis, music therapists, neuropsychologist, speech therapy, golly gee, Parkinson's affects almost everything, and there's a different kind of therapy. I know that the YMCA has fit, fit to box, fit to fight even. Who would have thought that boxing could be a, a treatment, right. you know? So there's all different kinds of things people don't know anything about. That's correct. And also the speakers we have are just top-notch. You, how do you ever get an opportunity to talk to someone for an hour, hour and a half, they usually come and they speak for 45 minutes to an hour. We have a Q&A, and they'll stay after that. Usually, they all want to come. They want to have this opportunity. The problem they usually have is they only have five or ten minutes to talk to a person in the office, and that's so limited, and the person may not really think of what they really want to talk about. And so this gives a, a wide-open stage for the discussion. And so people just love that. And they start to realize, I didn't understand that this was a problem. I didn't understand this and that. And so now when we have a roundtable discussion after the person has speak, spoken, they then share what they had. And how, how do you handle that? How do you, oh, I do this. Oh, really? That's a good idea. Never thought of that. So the sharing is what really makes a difference. Really makes a difference. Yeah, the support of, of just other people going through it and the support of people who are caring for someone with Parkinson's disease and, and coming to understand that uh, they're going to have to be some probably some adaptations made. Uh, one thing that 
that a lot of people I think are a little bit frightened about is especially with the palpations and everything, the loss of control. But ironically enough, there are times when it's almost mind over, you know, will over mind, I guess you'd say. I was watching this old house the other day, and there's an older man there. He's not a regular, but he was working on a house. He's in his 80s. He has Parkinson's quite bad. And, you know, as far as the shakes. But he says, you know, I get a hammer in my hand, and I can hammer for about five minutes before I have to stop. He said, just get the hammer in my hand, and my shaking stops. That's correct. You know, neurologically, I mean, there's some pathway that some great neuroscientist is going to have to explain all that. Maybe we don't even care why it happens, just knowing that it happens. So when you learn maybe some tricks, here's what I carry with me, or here's how I hold something, or here's how I bend over to pick up something. Just little things. How do I get dressed in the morning when I'm shaking? Or their voice. You know, oftentimes you get a very soft voice. Well, if you're a gregarious person used to being out in the public, Suddenly, everybody wants to come and talk to you. Hey, Dave, how you doing? And you're like, I'm fine, but you can't really hear me. And you just can't help it. It's just you have a soft voice. So sometimes you don't have to want to explain every person you meet why you have a soft voice. Yeah, that's, and that whole point is that people can come to the group and they're comfortable because they're sharing with people that have similar problems. Right. They don't have to apologize. They don't have to do anything because people say, this is fine. We, you know, we're just working together here. And then we, we utilize tools that are available. The, the uh, carbidopa levodopa, which is the replacement for dopamine, is the gold standard. It's been around for 50 years, and it's still the key item that re, for replenishment of the dopamine that starts to decrease in your brain. And the, and the dopamine is what allows all your systems to work correctly. Your eyes, your hands, your feet, the functioning. I know um, one thing that happens with Parkinson's is you, quote, get stuck. Like you're, you'll go to put your money back in your wallet, and your hand will, you'll have the money in your right hand, you'll have the wallet open in your left hand, but somehow you can't complete the transaction. The frustration level, just being able to talk about those things with other people who are going to experience it. Everybody's got different symptoms. Like you said, you know, one person with Parkinson's, you know, one person with Parkinson's. There's no overriding thing but there are some problems that can be managed with suggestions it might not work for you but something else might work for you so that's what the support group is all about it is and one of the key elements that are also physical is the freezing of gait where you may stop and you have trouble moving again and people around you they say, oh, I'll help you. That doesn't really work. You, you have to work it through yourself, and then you can step away again. Yeah, that, that is one of the big frustrations. I've shared this story before. When my father, uh, you know, we knew that it was a degenerative disease. So the bottom line is, do you feel like going? My dad would say, oh, I don't really feel up to it. I said, but you're going to be up to it more today than you are six months from now. So I took him to a St. Louis Rams football game down at TWA Dome at the time. That's how long ago it was, you know. And we had a great time, but on the way out of the stadium, he got stuck at the top of the escalator. Thank goodness that people were patient and loving because they could have just shoved this old man, you know, like, get going, buddy. What are you stopped at the top of the escalator for? It took a lot to get him going again, and it really wasn't. You know, I couldn't hardly help it. It just had to. He just had to do it himself. Stuff like that is very difficult to understand. And to explain to people who have not experienced that. And I think that's why um, it's also a really good idea 
uh, one thing I'm sure you talk about is having somebody go with you to your doctor's appointments so that you have somebody recording what the doctor wants you to do and, and some exercises or some some um, systems, you know, maybe some suggestions on how to do things. That's critically important. Yeah, well, with that idea, it's very important to have a care partner, and it's very important that a care partner also comes to our meetings. Sometimes the children, maybe adult children, should come to a meeting and, and recognize a lot more than they already know or they don't know much maybe. And so it helps them then open the communications with their their loved one, really. Once you have understanding, then compassion can come in. I mean, like I said, you know, I think people understood at that moment at the St. Louis Rams football stadium that this gentleman – um, was having a difficulty, and it was more than just being in his 70s. You know, it was more than just oh, he's old and he's afraid to step on an escalator. It's not. It wasn't that. And they were able to garner group patience to wait for this to happen. And then it did. It you know eventually he did was able to yeah. step forward. But it's very difficult to try to explain that to people. And I was saying thank you. Please don't push. It'll take a moment here, but we're going to make it. You know, it's going to happen. So I think that this um, there's an emotional component to this, too, that the support group is so good at. So you have guest speakers. You, you encourage a care team. You talk about medication, what's new, what's old, what works, what doesn't. And, of course, that's different for every person, too. And we also laugh a lot. Okay, that's okay. the most important thing. Adaptive equipment. I haven't been around this in a long time. Uh, you know, my dad's been passed away for a long time now. Um, a cane laser light. With yes. e- for your eating utensils, writing tools. Talk about some of this stuff. Well, I, this is all new territory to okay. me, Dave May. The cane laser light is a, you push a button, and you have a little, like, look like a long flashlight, and it shines a, br- a red line on the floor, and you can step over that line. And when you step over it, you actually it helps you make that movement so that if you are frozen, freezing means you can't move your foot, you can then step over it, and that is a starting point, and then you go, you go. So that is something in the last six, seven years has been uh, becoming an uh, item that is usable. It doesn't work for everybody, and sometimes it works for a while, and then it doesn't work for a while, okay? But, I'm, I mean, the light is there, but it's not working for the right. person. But this is where all this research from the, the Michael J. Fox and the millions of dollars that have been spent on the brain trying to figure out methods to coping with this disease, and eventually maybe we'll figure out what causes it, we'll be able to reverse it or stop it. But for the moment, we've got some great tools. And writing instrumentation. Yes. You need larger items to write with, okay? Uh, When it comes to spoons and forks, they have some that actually have an adjustment on them. They kind of swivel a little bit. It allows the, if they have a very bad tremor, it helps them be able to eat with that, okay? And, And again, most people can control most of the things with dopamine, by taking carbidopa, levodopa, dopamine. And so you, you see a lot less people who have the problem because they are taking that medicine. Uh, when it goes off, off meaning that like after four hours, it no longer has the strength and it starts wearing down. If you don't take the next one, then those things start to reappear. So then you take maybe this three times a day. We're talking with Dave May. Um, No one should have to face Parkinson's disease alone. And since 2015, there has been a Parkinson's disease support group here in the Quincy area. Please, please, if you think you have, if you've got a tremor and you're starting to have some halting movement in your gait, in your walking, 
get immediately to a doctor and get a diagnosis. Whether it's that or something else, get the diagnosis. And please join the Parkinson's Disease Support Group yourself if you have this diagnosis and a caregiver or two caregivers. Children get involved, adult children get involved in your parents' uh, care team because that is very helpful when you know that everybody's on board. It, the uh, open house is Saturday, March 18th from 1 to 4. Dr. Austin Haig, a neurologist, is going to give a speech at 2 o'clock. And the director of the American Parkinson's Disease Association out of St. Louis is also going to be there. You're going to hear from all these experts. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get a little boost here and hopefully get people encouraged to come regularly to the monthly meetings, right? No cost. No cost, and that's the way we keep it. <laughs> yeah, that is that's fantastic. Uh, Quincy Medical Group, of course, helps out with that. Blessing Hospital. Uh, Dave and Terry May are the coordinators. Uh, so if you need information, call Quincy Medical Group. Mark your calendar for Saturday, March 18th. I know there are some people... Gee, I knew one of them named Charlie. They're like, oh, I'm not doing all this. I'm not doing all that. But, however, in the waiting room, he had his own little support group because he'd be down there at Barnes and, you know, they'd be sitting around chit-chatting and they'd, you know, well, this happens to me. What do you do when that happens to you? So everybody needs this. You really need, sometimes too, you just need somebody else who has it that knows how frustrating it is. Correct. Because it's really impossible for us to know how truly frustrating it is to have Parkinson's disease. We want to help our loved one, but we can't fully understand. Can't understand. Uh, and being a care caregiver or care partner is is uh, can be a job in itself. And that's true for almost any type of disease that's uh, debilitating. That is so true, and that's why support groups are so important. So again, folks, Saturday, March 18th, 1 to 4, it's absolutely free. If you can't stay the whole time, that's fine. We understand you may not want to be there three hours, but at 2 o'clock, Dr. Austin Hake is going to speak. And again, uh, you know, don't try to diagnose yourself. All tremors are not Parkinson's disease, but uh, if you've developed a tremor, and don't say, well, I'm not old enough to get it because I've seen people in their 30s that have it. So Michael J. Fox was certainly young when he got it. So it just open your eyes to the possibility that you need some medical help and that there is a support group there to help you and that they meet on Saturdays at the Quincy Public Library. It's free of charge. I'm sure refreshments will be served. So that'll yep. get people there. Thank <laughs> you so much, Dave May, for all you do. Uh, I think it's just wonderful that you've been willing to uh, not only help yourself on the journey, but to help others. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.